0: Chapter 80 In Joseph's Tomb At last, Jesus was at rest. The long day of shame and torture was ended. As the last rays of the setting sun ushered in the Sabbath, the Son of God lay in quietude in Joseph's tomb. His work completed, his hands folded in peace, he rested through the sacred hours of the Sabbath day. In the beginning, the Father and the Son had rested upon the Sabbath after their work of creation. When the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, the Creator and all heavenly beings rejoiced in contemplation of the glorious scene. The morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, Job chapter 38, verse 7. Now Jesus rested from the work of redemption. And though there was grief among those who loved Him on earth, yet there was joy in heaven. Glorious to the eyes of heavenly beings was the promise of the future, a restored creation, a redeemed race, that having conquered sin could never fall. This, the result to flow from Christ's completed work, God and angels saw. With this scene, the day upon which Jesus rested is forever linked. For his work is perfect, and whatsoever God doeth, it shall be for ever. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 14. When there shall be a restitution of all things which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began, Acts chapter 3, verse 21, the creation Sabbath, the day on which Jesus lay at rest in Joseph's tomb, will still be a day of rest and rejoicing heaven and earth will unite in praise as from one sabbath to another isaiah chapter 66 verse 23 the nations of the saved shall bow in joyful worship to god and the lamb in the closing events of the crucifixion day fresh evidence was given of the fulfillment of prophecy and new witness born to christ's divinity when the darkness had lifted from the cross and the savior's dying cry had been uttered Immediately another voice was heard saying, Truly this was the Son of God. Matthew chapter 27, verse 54. These words were said in no whispered tones. All eyes were turned to see whence they came. Who had spoken? It was the centurion, the Roman soldier. The divine patience of the Savior and his sudden death with the cry of victory upon his lips had impressed this heathen. In the bruised, broken body hanging upon the cross, the centurion recognized the form of the Son of God. He could not refrain from confessing his faith. Thus again evidence was given that our Redeemer was to see of the travail of His soul. Upon the very day of His death three men, differing widely from one another, had declared their faith. He who commanded the Roman guard, He who bore the cross of the Saviour, and He who died upon the cross at His side. As evening drew on, an unearthly stillness hung over Calvary. The crowd dispersed, and many returned to Jerusalem, greatly changed in spirit from what they had been in the morning. Many had flocked to the crucifixion from curiosity, and not from hatred toward Christ. Still they believed the accusations of the priest, and looked upon Christ as a malefactor. Under an unnatural excitement, they had united with the mob in railing against Him. But when the earth was wrapped in blackness, and they stood accused by their own consciences, they felt guilty of a great wrong. No jest or mocking laughter was heard in the midst of that fearful gloom, and when it was lifted they made their way to their homes in solemn silence. They were convinced that the charges of the priest were false, that Jesus was no pretender, and a few weeks later, when Peter preached upon the day of Pentecost, they were among the thousands who became converts to Christ. But the Jewish leaders were unchanged by the events they had witnessed. Their hatred of Jesus had not abated. The darkness that had mantled the earth at the crucifixion was not more dense than that which still enveloped the minds of the priests and rulers. At His birth the star had known Christ and had guided the wise men to the manger where He lay. The heavenly host had known Him, and had sung His praise over the plains of Bethlehem. The sea had known His voice, and had obeyed His command. Disease and death had recognized His authority, and had yielded to Him their prey. The sun had known Him, and at the sight of His dying anguish had hidden its face of light. The rocks had known Him, and had shivered into fragments at His cry. Inanimate nature had known Christ, and had borne witness to His divinity. But the priests and rulers of Israel knew not the Son of God. Yet the priests and rulers were not at rest. They had carried out their purpose in putting Christ to death. But they did not feel the sense of victory they had expected. Even in the hour of their apparent triumph, they were harassed with doubts as to what would next take place they had heard the cry it is finished father into thy hands i commend my spirit john chapter 19 verse 30 luke chapter 23 verse 46 they had seen the rocks rent and had felt the mighty earthquake and they were restless and uneasy they had been jealous of christ's influence with the people when living they were jealous of him even in death they dreaded the dead christ more far more than they had ever feared the living Christ. They dreaded to have the attention of the people directed any further to the events attending His crucifixion. They feared the results of that day's work. Not on any account would they have had His body remain on the cross during the Sabbath. The Sabbath was now drawing on, and it would be a violation of its sanctity for the bodies to hang upon the cross. So using this as a pretext, the leading Jews requested Pilate that the death of the victims might be hastened, and their bodies be removed before the setting of the sun. Pilate was as unwilling as they for the body of Jesus to remain upon the cross. His consent having been obtained, the legs of the two thieves were broken to hasten their death. But Jesus was found to be already dead. The rude soldiers had been softened by what they had heard and seen of Jesus, and they were restrained from breaking His limbs. Thus in the offering of the Lamb of God was fulfilled the law of the Passover. They shall leave none of it until the morning, nor break any bone of it, according to all the ordinances of the Passover they shall keep it. Numbers chapter 9, verse 12. The priests and rulers were amazed to find that Christ was dead. Death by the cross was a lingering process it was difficult to determine when life had ceased. It was an unheard-of thing for one to die within six hours of crucifixion. The priests wished to make sure of the death of Jesus, and at their suggestion a soldier thrust a spear into the Savior's side. From the wound thus made there flowed two copious and distinct streams, one of blood, the other of water. This was noted by all the beholders, and John states the occurrence very definitely. He says, one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bare record, and his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. For these things were done, that the Scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again another Scripture saith, They shall look on him whom they pierced. John chapter 19, verses 34-37. After the resurrection, the priests and rulers circulated the report that Christ did not die upon the cross, that He merely fainted and was afterward revived. Another report affirmed that it was not a real body of flesh and bone, but the likeness of a body that was laid in the tomb. The action of the Roman soldiers disproves these falsehoods. They broke not His legs, because He was already dead. To satisfy the priests, they pierced His side had not life been already extinct this wound would have caused instant death but it was not the spear thrust it was not the pain of the cross that caused the death of jesus the cry uttered with a loud voice matthew chapter 27 verse 50 and luke chapter 23 verse 46 at the moment of death the stream of blood and water that flowed from his side declared that he died of a broken heart his heart was broken by mental anguish He was slain by the sin of the world. With the death of Christ, the hopes of His disciples perished. They looked upon His closed eyelids and drooping head, His hair matted with blood, His pierced hands and feet, and their anguish was indescribable. Until the last, they had not believed that He would die. They could hardly believe that He was really dead. Overwhelmed with sorrow, they did not recall His words foretelling this very scene. Nothing that He had said now gave them comfort. They saw only the cross and its bleeding victim. The future seemed dark with despair. Their faith in Jesus had perished, but never had they loved their Lord as now. Never before had they so felt His worth, and their need of His presence. Even in death Christ's body was very precious to His disciples. They longed to give Him an honored burial, but knew not how to accomplish this. Treason against the Roman government was the crime for which Jesus was condemned, and persons put to death for this offence were consigned to a burial ground especially provided for such criminals. The disciple John, with the women from Galilee, had remained at the cross. They could not leave the body of their Lord to be handled by the unfeeling soldiers, and buried in a dishonored grave. Yet they could not prevent it. They could obtain no favors from the Jewish authorities, and they had no influence with Pilate. In this emergency Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus came to the help of the disciples. Both these men were members of the Sanhedrin, and were acquainted with Pilate. Both were men of wealth and influence. They were determined that the body of Jesus should have an honorable burial. Joseph went boldly to Pilate, and begged from him the body of Jesus. For the first time Pilate learned that Jesus was really dead. Conflicting reports had reached him in regard to the events attending the crucifixion, but the knowledge of Christ's death had been purposely kept from him. Pilate had been warned by the priests and rulers against deception by Christ's disciples in regard to His body. Upon hearing Joseph's request, he therefore sent for the centurion who had charge at the cross, and learned for certainty of the death of Jesus. He also drew from him an account of the scenes of Calvary, confirming the testimony of Joseph. The request of Joseph was granted. While John was troubled about the burial of his master, Joseph returned with Pilate's order for the body of Christ. And Nicodemus came, bringing a costly mixture of myrrh and aloes of about a hundred pounds weight for his embalming. The most honored in all Jerusalem could not have been shown more respect in death. The disciples were astonished to see these wealthy rulers as much interested as they themselves in the burial of their Lord. Neither Joseph nor Nicodemus had openly accepted the Saviour while He was living. They knew that such a step would exclude them from the Sanhedrin, and they hoped to protect Him by their influence in its councils. For a time they had seemed to succeed. But the wily priests, seeing their favour to Christ, had thwarted their plans. In their absence Jesus had been condemned and delivered to be crucified. Now that He was dead, they no longer concealed their attachment to Him. While the disciples feared to show themselves openly as His followers, Joseph and Nicodemus came boldly to their aid. The help of these rich and honoured men was greatly needed at this time. They could do for their dead master what it was impossible for the poor disciples to do, and their wealth and influence protected them in a great measure from the malice of the priests and rulers. Gently and reverently they removed with their own hands the body of Jesus from the cross. Their tears of sympathy fell fast as they looked upon His bruised and lacerated form. Joseph owned a new tomb, hewn in a rock. This he was reserving for himself but it was near Calvary, and he now prepared it for Jesus. The body, together with the spices brought by Nicodemus, was carefully wrapped in a linen sheet, and the Redeemer was borne to the tomb. There the three disciples straightened the mangled limbs, and folded the bruised hands upon the pulseless breast. The Galilean women came to see that all had been done that could be done for the lifeless form of their beloved Teacher. Then they saw the heavy stone, rolled against the entrance of the tomb, and the Saviour left at rest. The women were last at the cross, and last at the tomb of Christ. While the evening shades were gathering, Mary Magdalene and the other Marys lingered about the resting place of their Lord, shedding tears of sorrow over the fate of Him whom they loved. And they returned, and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Luke chapter 23, verse 56. That was a never-to-be-forgotten Sabbath to the sorrowing disciples, and also to the priests, rulers, scribes, and people. At the setting of the sun, on the evening of the preparation day, the trumpets sounded, signifying that the Sabbath had begun. The Passover was observed as it had been for centuries, while He to whom it pointed had been slain by wicked hands, and lay in Joseph's tomb. On the Sabbath the courts of the temple were filled with worshippers. The high priest from Golgotha was there, splendidly robed in his sacerdotal garments. White-turbaned priests, full of activity, performed their duties. But some present were not at rest as the blood of bulls and goats was offered for sin. They were not conscious that type had met antitype, that an infinite sacrifice had been made for the sins of the world they knew not that there was no further value in the performance of the ritual service. But never before had that service been witnessed with such conflicting feelings. The trumpets and musical instruments and the voices of the singers were as loud and clear as usual. But a sense of strangeness pervaded everything. One after another inquired about a strange event that had taken place hitherto the most holy place had been sacredly guarded from intrusion, but now it was open to all eyes. The heavy veil of tapestry, made of pure linen, and beautifully wrought with gold, scarlet, and purple, was rent from top to bottom. The place where Jehovah had met with the high priest to communicate His glory, the place that had been God's sacred audience chamber, lay open to every eye, a place no longer recognized by the Lord. With gloomy presentiments the priests ministered before the altar. The uncovering of the sacred mystery of the Most Holy Place filled them with dread of coming calamity. Many minds were busy with thoughts started by the scenes of Calvary. From the crucifixion to the resurrection many sleepless eyes were constantly searching the prophecies some to learn the full meaning of the feast they were then celebrating, some to find evidence that Jesus was not what He claimed to be, and others with sorrowful hearts were searching for proofs that He was the true Messiah. Though searching with different objects in view, all were convicted of the same truth, that prophecy had been fulfilled in the events of the past few days, and that the Crucified One was the world's Redeemer. Many who at that time united in the service never again took part in the Paschal rites. Many, even of the priests, were convicted of the true character of Jesus. Their searching of the prophecies had not been in vain, and after His resurrection they acknowledged Him as the Son of God. Nicodemus, when he saw Jesus lifted up on the cross, remembered His words spoken by night in the Mount of Olives. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life." John 3, verses 14 and 15. On that Sabbath, when Christ lay in the grave, Nicodemus had opportunity for reflection. A clear light now illuminated his mind, and the words which Jesus had spoken to him were no longer mysterious. He felt that he had lost much by not connecting himself with the Saviour during his life, Now He recalled the events of Calvary, the prayer of Christ for His murderers, and His answer to the petition of the dying thief spoke to the heart of the learned Counselor. Again He looked upon the Saviour in His agony. Again He heard that last cry, It is finished, spoken like the words of a conqueror. Again He beheld the reeling earth, the darkened heavens, the rent veil, the shivered rocks, and his faith was for ever established. The very event that destroyed the hopes of the disciples convinced Joseph and Nicodemus of the divinity of Jesus. Their fears were overcome by the courage of a firm and unwavering faith. Never had Christ attracted the attention of the multitude as now that He was laid in the tomb. According to their practice the people brought their sick and suffering ones to the temple courts, inquiring, Who can tell us of Jesus of Nazareth? Many had come from far to find Him who had healed the sick and raised the dead. On every side was heard the cry, We want Christ the Healer. Upon this occasion those who were thought to show indications of the leprosy were examined by the priest. Many were forced to hear their husbands, wives, or children pronounced leprous, and doomed to go forth from the shelter of their homes, and the care of their friends, to warn off the stranger with the mournful cry, Unclean, unclean. The friendly hands of Jesus of Nazareth that never refused to touch with healing the loathsome leper were folded on his breast the lips that had answered his petition with the comforting words i will be thou clean matthew chapter 8 verse 3 were now silent many appealed to the chief priests and rulers for sympathy and relief but in vain apparently they were determined to have the living christ among them again With persistent earnestness they asked for Him. They would not be turned away. But they were driven from the temple courts, and soldiers were stationed at the gates to keep back the multitudes that came with their sick and dying, demanding entrance. The sufferers who had come to be healed by the Saviour sank under their disappointment. The streets were filled with mourning, The sick were dying for want of the healing touch of Jesus. Physicians were consulted in vain. There was no skill like that of Him who lay in Joseph's tomb. The mourning cries of the suffering ones brought home to thousands of minds the conviction that a great light had gone out of the world. Without Christ the earth was blackness and darkness, many whose voices had swelled the cry of, Crucify Him! crucify Him, now realized the calamity that had fallen upon them, and would as eagerly have cried, Give us Jesus, had He still been alive. When the people learned that Jesus had been put to death by the priests, inquiries were made regarding His death. The particulars of His trial were kept as private as possible, but during the time when He was in the grave His name was on thousands of lips, and reports of His mock trial and of the inhumanity of the priests and rulers were circulated everywhere. By men of intellect these priests and rulers were called upon to explain the prophecies of the Old Testament concerning the Messiah, and while trying to frame some falsehood in reply they became like men insane. The prophecies that pointed to Christ's sufferings and death they could not explain, and many inquirers were convinced that the Scriptures had been fulfilled. The revenge which the priests had thought would be so sweet was already bitterness to them. They knew that they were meeting the severe censure of the people. They knew that the very ones whom they had influenced against Jesus were now horrified by their own shameful work. These priests had tried to believe Jesus a deceiver, but it was in vain. Some of them had stood by the grave of Lazarus, and had seen the dead brought back to life. They trembled for fear that Christ would Himself rise from the dead, and again appear before them. They had heard Him declare that He had power to lay down His life, and to take it again. They remembered that He had said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. John chapter 2, verse 19. Judas had told them the words spoken by Jesus to the disciples while on the last journey to Jerusalem. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock, and to scourge, and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. Matthew chapter 20, verses 18 and 19. When they heard these words, they had mocked and ridiculed Him, but now they remembered that Christ's predictions had so far been fulfilled. He had said that He would rise again the third day, and who could say that this also would not come to pass? They longed to shut out these thoughts, but they could not. Like their father the devil, they believed and trembled. Now that the frenzy of excitement was past, the image of Christ would intrude upon their minds. They beheld Him as He stood serene and uncomplaining before His enemies, suffering without a murmur their taunts and abuse. All the events of His trial and crucifixion came back to them with an overpowering conviction that He was the Son of God. They felt that He might at any time stand before them, the accused to become the accuser the condemned to condemn, the slain to demand justice in the death of His murderers. They could rest little upon the Sabbath. Though they would not step over a Gentile's threshold for fear of defilement, yet they held a council concerning the body of Christ. Death and the grave must hold Him whom they had crucified. The chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, After three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the supper be made sure unto the third day, lest his disciples come by night, and steal him away, and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch. Go your way, make it as sure as you can. Matthew chapter 27, 62-65. through 65. The priests gave directions for securing the sepulcher. A great stone had been placed before the opening. Across this stone they placed cords, securing the ends to the solid rock, and sealing them with the Roman seal. The stone could not be moved without breaking the seal. A guard of one hundred soldiers was then stationed at the sepulcher to prevent it from being tampered with. The priests did all they could to keep Christ's body where it had been laid. He was sealed as securely in His tomb as if He were to remain there through all time. So weak men counseled and planned. Little did these murderers realize the uselessness of their efforts. But by their action God was glorified. The very efforts made to prevent Christ's resurrection are the most convincing arguments in its proof. The greater the number of soldiers placed around the tomb, the stronger would be the testimony that he had risen. Hundreds of years before the death of Christ, the Holy Spirit had declared through the psalmist, Why do the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, And against his anointed. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Psalms, the second chapter, verses one through four. Roman guards and Roman arms were powerless to confine the Lord of life within the tomb. The hour of his release was near.